Welcome to the Clovercrest Baptist Church podcast. For more information about Clovercrest Baptist Church, go to clovercrest.com.au. Hi everyone, welcome to the Stevens House. Yes, different location for the message today. Uh, the Stevens family, we're in isolation. We knew COVID was going to come to us at some point, and it's our turn. Uh, COVID's entered uh, into our family, so we are in isolation. I really want to thank God for the great health care that we have here in Australia, and also for our family and our friends who have extended love, care, and prayers for us uh, during this last week. Well, as we begin our time together today, I have a question for you. And it is this, what are the artifacts, and by artifacts I mean the objects and the items in your life that when you look at them, they remind you how God has created you. Uh, What are these artifacts? Uh, What are the objects and items in your life that demonstrate how God has carried you over the years? I wonder what it is that you're thinking about now. I've got a few with me here today. I've got a marathon top. In 2017, me and a couple of the guys from Clovey, we ran the Melbourne Marathon. We raised money for Pathway. And we spent uh, a lot of weeks, months even, training up for the Melbourne Marathon. We've done a a few Harveys together before, half marathons. But this is the first time that we took on uh, an actual marathon, 42 kilometres. And I tell you, there were times through this race that I wanted to stop. There were times that I wanted to give up. About 30 kilometres in, I ran past a cafe and people were sitting out the front. And I was just like, let me stop, have a latte, I'm done. But I kept going. And this marathon top actually reminds me of the grit and the endurance that God's placed in me, that I can be someone who finishes things that I start. This is one of the artifacts in my life. Another one is I've got a little uh, container here. I've got a ticket uh, container, ticket stub container from uh, the travels that Michelle and I did before we had kids. And it reminds me that God has created me for an adventure. You know, when I look at the different ticket stubs in here from things like Edinburgh Castle through to Somerset House and different concerts and places that we traveled, it reminds me of the adventurous spirit that God has put inside of me. And I've also got uh, a little bit of art here as well. I've got a little bit of uh, Bengali art that comes from Bangladesh and it's some rickshaw art that I picked up when I was there with some students a few years ago when I was a school chaplain at King's. And this was a really significant time in my life in terms of meeting people from Bangladesh and hearing their stories. And it reminds me of a welcome and embrace for all people, how it's really important to slow down, to listen to other people's stories. And and that shapes us as we uh, adventure with God in, in the things that he has for us. I wonder what it is for you Uh, in your life. I've shown you three artifacts, uh, three objects and items. But what about for you? What is it in your life that reminds you of how God has created you? I wonder what comes to mind. You know, in God's story, over history, the Israelites had artifacts in their world that reminded them of God's faithfulness. And they were mostly located in the city of Jerusalem, their holy city, which represented their national identity. So, for example, some of the artifacts of them was the temple, a place where they worshipped their one and true God, Yahweh. Also, the walls of the temple, which showed safety from foreign nations and annual festivals, which showed them how to celebrate their identity 
and who they were and, and God's faithfulness in their lives. And there were seasons uh, for the Israelites where they lived in peace and they had freedom. And there were other times where they lived in captivity and exile. And it's these artifacts in their life and in their world that spoke really deeply to them around their faith and around their way of life. And where the Israelites find themselves in God's story, as we begin a new series today in Nehemiah, was well, a slightly complicated situation. Let me explain some of the history for us today. We go all the way back to around 600 BC and Jerusalem's invaded and God's people came under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar. And this is known as the Babylonian exile. The temple and the walls were ruined and some of what shaped God's people up until this point, some of their artifacts, were, they were destroyed. And it must have been a really confusing and disappointing time for God's people when this happened. And around 70 years later, under the, the, the decree of another king, King Cyrus, the Jews were enabled and allowed to return to Jerusalem. And that's when they started to rebuild the temple. And they rebuilt the temple and they started to rebuild the walls as well. But honestly, uh, there was a lot of trouble at this time in Jerusalem. Uh, so the Persian king, uh, he actually said, we're going to stop this. We're going to stop the rebuilding of the walls. And then around 460 BC, Ezra returned to Jerusalem and he was there to teach God's uh, people in God's holy ways. So it's been around 70 years since the temple had been rebuilt and about 13 years since Ezra had returned to Jerusalem to help God's people with their spiritual needs that we get to Nehemiah. So let's introduce Nehemiah. Who was Nehemiah? Well, Nehemiah was really a common man. He was a common man, but he was in a unique position. He was the cupbearer to the king. His job was to literally taste the wine and other drinks to ensure the king wasn't poisoned. For some, you think, well, it could be a good job, could be some good wine there. But for others, you're thinking, no, I don't think so. I'm not lining up for that job at all. You know, Nehemiah, he had little power, but he had great influence because he had the ear to the king of the day. And Nehemiah had a heart for his people. And he really cared about Jerusalem. And in Hebrew, Nehemiah actually translates to mean comforted by God. That's what his name means, comforted by God. And theologian M.J. Boda says this about Nehemiah. He says, Nehemiah comes across as spiritually sensitive and courageous leader, capable of winning the trust of his superiors, inspiring action in others, and meeting opposition squarely. So church, over the next month, we're going to be sitting in the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to be learning some faith lessons around what it means to live restored lives. Restore is the theme for 2022, and we're going to sit in the book of Nehemiah and understand that God has restorative plans for all of our lives. And he works within the context in which we've been placed. And he has a heart and a desire to move us forward into his preferred future. So today I want to lay out a bit of a framework. Looking at Nehemiah 1, I want us to explore how this happened in Nehemiah's life. And today I want to introduce to us what I've just called a framework of restoration. A framework for restoration. And it comes within the text of Nehemiah 1. 
So with this in mind, let's get our Bibles, our phones out, and let's dig into Nehemiah chapter 1. And we're looking at this framework for restoration. And the first aspect uh, for the framework of restoration is to acknowledge. Acknowledge. Verses 1 to 3 state this. The words of Nehemiah, son of Halakagai, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who have survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. In verse 1 here, Nehemiah informs his readers of the day and us today that these are his words. This is an autobiographical account. It's authored by Nehemiah himself. And Nehemiah enjoyed security and a level of prestige being the king's cupbearer. Honestly, there was no reason for him to want to leave that post and move hundreds of kilometres away. And this shows and demonstrates his love for Jerusalem and that he was deeply concerned about the welfare of the people. Essentially, Nehemiah is acknowledging the truth of the situation that he finds himself in. He doesn't put his head in the sand or he doesn't ignore the facts. His brother said to him in verse 3, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. This is a troubling situation that Nehemiah finds himself in and he acknowledges the truth and he doesn't shy away from that. And I wonder today as we desire to live in such a way that we experience the restoration of God in our lives. What does this mean for us as followers of Jesus? Where do we find ourselves globally in the Western church, personally in our lives? What do we need to acknowledge? The truth is global Christianity stats highlight the fact that the church in the West is in decline. I spoke a couple of weeks ago about Alan Roxburgh speaking about what he calls modernity's wager. The fact that in the West, we try and play God. We try and be the ones in control. The reality is in our Western context, there's been an exponential rise in individualism and secularism, relativism, tolerance, invisibility of faith. You name it. We're getting pushed more and more to the margins. And we need to acknowledge this plight and we need to seek God for restoration. What about on more of a personal level? What is God asking you to acknowledge in your life where he desires deeply to bring restoration into your world? And it might be that this is something that he keeps pressing into your life and by his love and by his grace, he's just bringing this up as we keep speaking about God desiring to restore. See, the first thing Nehemiah teaches us is that when we're seeking restoration, is to have the courage to acknowledge what is really going on. The second piece of the framework is surrender. Verses 4 to 6 state this in chapter 1. When I had heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, Lord, the God of heaven... 
The great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ears be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you today. And the night for your servants, the people of Israel. Nehemiah's first response to hearing these words from his brother was to sit down and weep. He loved these people and that place. He just oozes compassion for them. And then he prayed. And Nehemiah was a man of prayer. He was constantly surrendering himself before the living God. And there's actually 10 prayers in the book of Nehemiah. I encourage you to go into the book, study it, try and find all 10. There's 10 prayers in this book showing a deep and intimate connection that Nehemiah has with the living God. Nehemiah prayed for God's favour and blessing to be upon him, the works of his hands and others, and that they together would fulfil God's great plan. And Nehemiah was a man of faith, and he believed in a great and awesome God, and he was happy to surrender to him. In verses 5 and 6, Nehemiah says this, he says, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Nehemiah surrendered. And then from this posture of surrender, he confessed which is the third aspect of this framework of restoration, confession. Verse 6 and 7 goes on to say, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Deeply embedded into Nehemiah's prayer was confession. Confessing the sins of his people. And Nehemiah put himself in that confession. He he made this confession personal. To be restored unto God. Nehemiah teaches us that a posture of surrender and confession is absolutely essential. So let me ask you today, honestly, before the living God, how do you need to do this? How do you need to surrender and confess before God? What is it in your life that maybe the Lord is leading you into? That you know you're not living in his will and in his ways. And he's asking to redirect you in in a new path. Confess that to him. What about for others? Or a Western civilization where church has been in decline for decades? How do we need to get on our knees and confess and say, sorry, Lord, redirect us and show us how to live restored lives for you. So Nehemiah's framework of restoration is to acknowledge, surrender and confess. And the fourth aspect is to remember, to remember. Verses eight and nine in chapter one go on to say, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me, and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them 
from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. To live a life of restoration is to remember God's faithfulness, his will and his ways. And for Nehemiah and for God's people, this was represented in the holy city in which he loved. The temple, the walls, the festivals, places and times to remember. Remember God's faithfulness. And in his prayer here, he's remembering the faithfulness of God who through Moses and the fact that it's God who gives direction. It's God who provides for his people. And to be restored is to remember. I wonder what stories in your life make you remember God's faithfulness. I've got another little prop here today for us. and This one's of a different, a different jersey. It's a basketball jersey. For those that don't know, this is the basketball jersey of Ben Simmons, who used to play for the Philadelphia 76ers in the NBA. And my son, Ben, he loved Ben Simmons. So much so, he got this jersey and he wore it pretty much every day. And he just loved it and he loved wearing it. But do you know, if you know anything about basketball, if you know anything about the NBA, and I'm not saying you need to, you'd know that Ben Simmons fell out of favour with the Philadelphia 76ers. He struggled with a few basic basketball skills like shooting, and then he struggled with a lot of attitude because he just didn't want to get better. So he decided not to play, and he said, I'm going to sit it out. And that came to a bit of a stalemate because, well, the team needed him and they wanted him to play. He didn't want to play, so they traded him. It's fair to say it ended pretty awkwardly. And my son, Ben, probably not a huge fan of Ben Simmons now. Ben Simmons now plays for another team. But this top is very important to my son, Ben. And he'll still wear it. And he's not going to throw it out or burn it or do anything silly like that. Because this top was the top that he was baptised in. And this top is a top that he remembers God's faithfulness. He remembers that it's God who called him into relationship with him. He remembers that it's God through Jesus that saved him. And it's a very, very special top to Ben. What is it for you? How do you remember God's faithfulness in your lives? How do you remember the fact that God is the faithful one? What are the stories? What are the artifacts, the items and the objects? Because to be restored is to remember. And then the fifth aspect of this framework that Nehemiah gives us around restoration is to ask. Verse 10 and 11 says this. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. I was the cupbearer to the king. You know, Nehemiah did more than weep and pray. He made himself available to the Lord to participate in his plans. And Nehemiah depended on God and his power and asked God for favour when he was willing to be the answer to the prayers that he prayed. 
and to the prayers that other people prayed as well. Now, I mentioned in a sermon previously that uh, Pastor John Wimber from the Vineyard Movement, he spelt faith R-I-S-K. And our founding uh, pastor at Crossway, Dr. Stuart Robinson, he would say that often. He would say, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And then he'd add this little rider on the end and he'd say, faith is standing in the midst of miracles and on the edge of disaster. Let me say that again. Faith is standing in the midst of miracles and on the edge of disaster. It could sum up a little bit where Nehemiah is at right now. See, Nehemiah took a step of faith. And in chapter 2, he asked the king, he asked the king to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. And the king agreed and gave him safe passage. What is it that we need to have an attentive ear towards God and his ways and and ask him for success and favour for the purposes that he has for our lives, for your life, for our church, that we get to serve and participate in the kingdom of God for the restoration of all things. So Nehemiah gives us this beautiful framework for restoration. Firstly, to acknowledge and then surrender to confess, to remember, and then to ask. Because God has restorative plans for all of us. And for Nehemiah, he then returned to Jerusalem and he shared his plans from God with the people to rebuild. Chapter 2, verses 17 and 18 says this, And then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. And his gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be a disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that just such a wonderful story of the goodness of God and the faith of God's people to step out, to begin rebuilding and together join in that good work. So Clovey, let's be a people who participate in God's restoration. Let's be a people who are absolutely committed to acknowledging the truth of where we're at, to surrendering, and to confessing to God, remembering his goodness, and then asking him that may we join him in his great mission that he has for us. And this is my heart for you. It's my heart for me and my heart for all of us here at Clovey. And for Nehemiah, it was rebuilding the wall. What is it for you and me? Let's pray together. Oh, loving God, I want to thank you so much that you're a God of restoration. You're a God who loves us. You're a God who desires for us to be in a deep relationship with you. And you have plans and purposes for us. So Lord, we come before you today and we acknowledge, Lord, the situation and the truth that we find ourselves in. Lord, we surrender before you. Lord, we 
confess, Lord, that we don't always get it right and maybe we try and put ourselves more in the story than we need to. And we bring it all before you. We remember your faithfulness and Lord, we ask that you would use us in your great mission of restoring all humankind. So just ask the Lord now, what is he saying to you today? Ask him. Ask him, what is he saying to you today? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you're a God who speaks. Thank you, Lord, that you're a living and active and dynamic God. Now ask the Lord, what does he want you to do with that? The thing that he's speaking into your life, what is it that he wants you to do with that? We bless you, Lord. We thank you so much that you, Lord, want to move us forward into your restorative plans. And we say yes to you today. We love you. Thank you so much, Lord, that you desire to use us. And Lord, continue to speak to us as we dig into the book of Nehemiah in coming weeks. Thank you, Lord. God's people said, Amen. Amen.